This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 258 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Benefab and Equestrian Collections. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Fergus, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show with our producer, Glenn. Hi, guys. I can't remember the last time we had Glenn with us. I know. We're all together. It's so exciting. (laughs) We're all together now. I missed all my boys. What can I say? (laughs) I saw (laughs) Reese a couple weeks ago, though, so I did have a little fill of Reese. We had a oh, big time. Right. Yeah. yeah, we had a lovely time. It was very sad. Of us, I think. Next, well, I still need to get Glenn and Philip in the same location because they have never yet. met in person. <laughs> so this has to happen. Maybe next year we'll figure this out. But I have a very funny story about our barbecue the other day. Oh. No, it was good. We had okay. a we had a we great had a good time. time. Yes, thank you for inviting us over. By the way, we had a really good time, but it was a very funny story, and and I think everybody can sort of feel where I'm going with this. And I have a new gentleman. He's not that new. He's worked for me about uh, about five months, but we have a language barrier, and um, I I now tell everybody who wants to work in the horse industry that they need to speak Spanish. Because I have limited French capability, which is what I took in high school, and and I uh, have better German capability, but I have zero Spanish capability. So the week, and we were, we were working really hard to get the farm ready for Glenn and Jennifer's visit, and we had our Thin Line buddies come over as well. Um, so we had, a, we, had, we had a nice dinner planned. And that week I had, I had said to Jose, I said, Jose, you know, I, I, I have this patio furniture um, that I would like. If you would like it, I would like to give you the patio furniture. And I didn't think that he was going to take the patio furniture that day, but he did. So I wake up in the morning and I go out and get ready for our barbecue um, with Glenn and Jennifer and there's no patio furniture because Jose has, has as, as, as it is my fault as the manager that I did not think that there was no patio furniture. So, and, and so then it became, what am I going to do for this barbecue that I technically have my boss coming over and I have no patio furniture? So Glenn and Jennifer well, were wonderful hosts. What were you thinking, giving away your patio furniture with no Well, I didn't mean I, – I, me, I, I meant in the future – to take oh. to clarify a date. I Listen, didn't really. I, I, feel, I feel for this guy. I mean, if somebody I gives know, me something, I I'm would never. It. You know, you take it before they change, change their mind. Their mind yes, about, exactly. about it. He's a he's a wonderful worker, and, and and it was very funny. And so Glenn and Jennifer were very kind. We ate on a card table in our gazebo, and that card table Glenn is still set up because uh, we have no patio furniture. It was perfect. So it was a beautiful it night. It's yeah. patio wonderful. furniture, Reese. <laughs> yeah, right. But it was it was very funny, and so so now. Now it's still there because we still get a kick out of it. But he has wonderful patio furniture and, and we will eventually replace it. But it was Glenn was and Jennifer were wonderful sports. And we had a great time at Rolex and, and a good laugh on that. And and um, it was a, it was a great weekend. Listeners there and uh, yeah, hang yes. out together for a little while, which was nice. 
That was great fun. We walked the course a little bit and it was, it was a really, and Rolex this week, yeah, this year was just beautiful weather. And, and we've actually had beautiful weather uh, up here for, thankfully, because I think we all needed it. Um, okay, so I don't now, know about you. I will, I will, Philip. I will throw this in though, Philip. Uh, Reese, uh, Reese, uh, between the two of us, can either one of us raise our hand and say we watched dressage? No. Me either. You didn't. <laughs> didn't watch oh, my test. Yeah, what were you doing? Shopping. Shopping. Yeah, no I was shopping. I, I, I have I, an excuse. <laughs> I'm a horse husband. You were, we you don't were do dressage. And I was working. Right, we did right. shows there and everything. But we were there for cross-country day and jumping. <laughs> so was I. <laughs> I was there for both of those. Um, you know, I mean, I, I have, have to be honest. I mean, I coach a lot of adventures. So I kind of watched a little bit just because I, I like to know sort of what my competition and quotation marks are doing but um yeah i'm not i mean <laughs> unless i'm i'm actually coaching someone it's not really my interest um but it is a great shopping day because everyone's from watching a massage person so i, I just know, want to clarify I know. that it's, terrifying. it's it, not yeah. just me you know it what is, is sad there i will say this it is sad at rolex you got uh, we had thirty six thousand people come out for cross country mm-hmm. day this year and it, i was close to a record i think yeah, I think they broke it yeah. actually. Yeah, it was a little less than it was almost fifty thousand that came out for WEG, so it was it was up there. And there were a lot of people there on Friday of Dressage Day, but there were fifteen people in the stands. They were yeah. all shopping. <laughs> it was all shopping. It was a lot of shopping. Uh, um, everybody was it, shopping. Yeah, it's become a That's local a tradition a little bit, uh, to go shopping. So the vendors <laughs> did well. Um, but it was also raining too, Glenn. Yeah, it it was did rain on rainy. Friday. Yes. Yeah, it got rainy wow, okay. and cold actually on now, that Friday. Now we won't mention that the entire half the stadium you could have sat under uh, a roof, but true, we won't true. Mention yeah, that. but it was cold and yeah, rainy. You're so just I making excuses any, now. Yeah, I think if anybody was going to go, I, now, I, I didn't. On go. the other either. hand, I was looking at the co- uh, coverage out of badminton in England, which is one of the, a four star event, and it's huge over there, and it's yes. absolutely beautiful, big castle, the whole thing. I mean, it's just beautiful. They get a hundred and twenty thousand people to come out. That's and crazy. in the rural country roads of England, they show up to, to see this thing. And I was watching some of the dressage, a little bit of the dressage on video, and the stands were empty. And they showed the shopping venue, and you could not <laughs> walk. See, I was exactly. Same thing. Everyone's yeah, got that. Everyone's thing. got. Everyone's got their thing. So yes, I got some new boots, and I—I I mean, we just—we had a big time, and, and we—it's fun to to take the, everybody from the barn and and have a good time at Rolex and see all the new products, and uh, we enjoyed it. So I got some fun things for sure. So yeah, and Philip, tell me how how was yeah. your race day? How was the Oaks last week? Oh, the Oaks! Oh, the Oaks were so fun. Yeah, it it is really two weeks of a lot of things uh, going on here in Kentucky, and a lot of people that come into town. So it's it's great fun, and and we really enjoy it. But we really have to get our rest built up before Rolex because you don't really rest until after Derby and Oaks. But uh, usually, Philip and Meredith come down, and we have a great time but they didn't come this year and hopefully next year but uh oaks was great we got some uh tickets on the new party deck um which was fabulous you're gonna love it philip um and, and it was great <laughs> I like it the was sounds great. of the party deck the yeah, party deck the right was name, lovely it, yeah uh, it was really right nice not, yeah. yeah not very crowded it's the way to go so if anybody wants to go to the oaks which is the day before the derby and uh, the first lady, um, please listen to her. she. She came on last year, 
and talked about the Derby and Oaks. And she also is an avid dressage rider, uh, the First Lady of Kentucky, uh, Jane Bashir. And so uh, she everybody pinks out for her uh, charity, which is Horses and Hope. So um, everybody wears pink, and it's it's a big deal to uh, that it goes to breast cancer research. And so I, of course, wore pink, and uh, I spoke to Glenn in the morning a little bit from the tailgating, uh, which was fun. And um, <laughs> I didn't win fun. any money on the Oaks, but I'm not a huge gambler when it comes to horses. Hey, my, girl, my girlfriend won the race, though. Ro- oh, Rosie, she was Rosie. wonderful. Oh, she Rosie. was. Lovely, and just rode a fabulous race, and and she was yeah, she and, had a lot of Kentucky's pressure. Oaks is for is for the Phillies, right? That's yeah, for the Phillies. Yeah, that's also right. why everybody's wearing the girls. Pink. It's, so, Rosie and then the next just, day, Rosie yeah. rode last in the Kentucky. Yeah, uh, that was a big. That, that was a tough race. Yeah, that was a tough race, and um, yeah, it was it was a tough you race. Know, so the California Chrome, the whole story that's behind a lovely that. Story. I, I I just so hope because of the story, we need a triple crown with this story. Well, so fun. Just just tell everybody the story if you ha- didn't watch the well, Kentucky Derby. Well, I mean, Derby. these guys are, you know, they own like three, four horses and and the trainer has been a trainer. He's one of those lifelong trainers mm-hmm. just struggling to get through and he's 77 years old. He actually came and, and was the, uh, in 1955, he was he was the exercise rider for Swaps in 1955. Jennifer's so excited no about that. No kidding. I hear Jennifer in the yes. background. And Swaps Coach was a Jen. real big name in 1955, won the, won the Derby, and he was the exercise rider and hadn't been back since. He's 77 oh. years old and comes back in and wins, uh, wins the Derby with this just, just uh, amazing horse. Yeah, um, but if you watch that horse walk, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's got a, a lot of speed. But horse. if you look at, yeah, if you look at that horse walk, you're like, what's happening with that thing? I mean, it is, it His is. Legs are it's weird. Weird. <laughs> it is kind it of is weird. weird. It, I saw a walk and I was like, oh, oh, wow. And and they've been given a lot of, uh, you know, they didn't spend a lot of money and they've, and no, they, they bought this, be- they got this horse yeah, basically bought- like 7,500 or 10 grand or something. Yeah, it was, was like 10 grand. It was, yeah. it was cheap. <laughs> so, and they got him and, and, and because it walks so weird. Uh, but it's very exciting. And I, and I think the same thing, you know, it does happen in dressage as well. You know, it, it you have some fabulous horses that, uh, of course, a lot of people spend a lot of money on horses, uh, which, you know, as trainers, Philip and I are always happy to hear. Uh, but <laughs> there are stories of, of, you know, I have one in my barn and we did not spend a lot of money on her and she has required a lot of sleepless nights, but uh, it can be done to, to get an FEI horse uh, on, on a budget. So uh, it can happen in dressage as well. And, and it's, it's very fun. Hard. Yeah, it's all, it's all about her. And they believed yeah. in that horse. And, and I'm a firm and believer. Good training. Obviously, yeah. the trainer has done a great job. Good trainer and, uh, believing in that horse. That trainer believed right. in that horse from the beginning. And, and I there's a lot to be said about that. So very exciting. So it's been a wonderful couple weeks here in, in Kentucky. So uh, anybody who wants to partake in Rolex and Derby, send me an email, reese at horseradionetwork.com. And uh, I'll help you get your, uh, get your Kentucky two weeks in. So love it. And All right. Philip, well, we're about to yeah. get started. Uh, what's, what's going on with the show today? I guess Glenn can tell us a little bit. Well, our first well, guest, I can tell you about our first guest. Uh, okay. We have Darlene Ricker with us, who's out of Lexington, Kentucky. And she is a writer and a reporter, and she actually worked for Alltech during the 2010 games in Kentucky. 
she ran their magazine that was all about the WEG, and she had the opportunity to head over to France and see all of the venues uh, that are going to be used for the WEG coming up here at the end of the summer. And she gives is going to give us a report on all the different venues. Uh, I got an opportunity to do this interview with Helena of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. So we're going to hear all about the different and and what's different about this uh, the WEG in France is that these venues are spread out. Some of them are an hour apart. So it's a completely different experience than we had at the WEG, where it was all contained in in 1,400 acres at the park. Um, so it, it, she really does give us a good overview of, of what things are like in France for the WEG coming up. Excellent. And after that, I had a chance to talk with uh, dressage writer Catherine Haddad. She, we wanted an opportunity to talk about her blog that she writes, and very specifically one particular blog post that she had uh, called It's Time to Train the Trainers. It created a lot of controversy all over the it's one of these the one of those things that kind of blew up uh, with the social media and everything and um, and we wanted to talk about that a little bit with her so uh, she came on was very was very great she's in Europe at the moment and uh, and we got a, a great chance to discuss blogging and and her thoughts on it's time to train the trainers and uh, and yeah it's it's going to be a great interview can I say something we recorded that uh, earlier and and you know I'm not a dressage person i'm a horse husband and a radio guy uh, yeah but, he falls asleep during our episodes sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> that is true we have to kind of we ping him say, on glenn, skype glenn, glenn are you but, there but uh, you know whether you agree with her whether you agree with what she said whether you agree with her her quote-unquote politics or the you know how she feels about about these certain issues she is fascinating to listen to yeah. Um, very articulate. Yes, yeah. Very, yeah. very yeah. good. And I yep. enjoyed that interview tremendously, by the way. So I, I did not zone out once, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't there. She, she has a strong I didn't opinion. Get to, I'm going to have to listen did, like everyone else. Across really well. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was and I'm going to have to listen because I, I, Philip did it. I was at the, I was doing derby. So Philip, and that was hangover, the only time. Actually, is what it was. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. That's not. That's not. It was. It, I had a little time off, Glenn. Leave me alone. <laughs> But uh, Philip, Philip did it when I was, and, and I'm sad because I really wanted to be on that interview. So I'm going to listen with everyone else. So I hope Terrific. you enjoy it. Well, let's get started right after, uh, right after this word from our first sponsor, and that's the good folks over at Benefab. Let's get started with, uh, with Darlene Ricker, who, as I said, is going to tell us all about what it's going to be like at the WAG in France. Are you tired of treating your horse for soreness? Well, then be proactive. Benefab offers you and your horse a natural remedy to joint and muscle stiffness, inflammation, and circulatory deficiencies. Benefab offers a variety of innovative products, like saddle pads and polo wraps and quarter sheets for your horse, and socks and blankets for you. Simply ride in it or wear it and feel the difference Benefab's ceramic-infused products make. You can check them out online at BenefabProducts.com or you can call them toll-free at 
Coming up next, we get our first report on the World Equestrian Games, which is coming up very fast. Going to be happening here in October. And uh, we, we, well, actually, it's happening. What am I talking about? It's happening from August 23rd to September 7th. It's a little earlier this year. And it's uh, in France. And we're going to get, we're going to talk to Darlene, who is an equestrian writer who has toured the Normandy venues and interviewed the discipline managers and course designers. She was executive editor for the All Tech FEI World Equestrian Games in Lexington in 2010 and will be reporting from Normandy for numerous publications. I got to know her when we did the World Equestrian Games radio show for the 2010 Games. Darlene Ricker, let's find out what it's going to be like in France for the World Equestrian Games. Hi, Darlene. Welcome to the show. Hi, Glenn and Helena. How are you? We are great. We're so excited to start hearing about the 2014 World Equestrian Games in France. And uh, I know that you have had an opportunity to go over there and uh, take a visit to the venues and things. So we thought we would try today to give the listeners a bit of an overview of what what it's going to be like. I know it's going to be different than it was in Lexington in, in 2010 because of of the nature of uh, uh, how spread out it is and everything. So tell us a little bit first, where is it exactly in France? And, and tell us a little bit about the area. It's in the Normandy region, uh, basically centered in Caen, the city of Caen. Um, and it is as far, the region is just a blast because there are all kinds of things to do there. It's very historic. Um, and in particular, uh, the Normandy, the Omaha Beach at Normandy, where the D-Day occurred, this is going to be the 70th anniversary. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And the entire, and they're not just celebrating there, they're celebrating all over France. And Normandy, that region of Normandy near the beaches is close to the, where the endurance will be held at, oh. the, Bay of, um, at the Bay of Mont-Saint-Michel. Huh. That's cool. And as far as you'd like to hear about the differences between... Dr. Lyons is fond of saying that it will be the same as the 2010 games, but different. Um, and what that means is that it's the same events, you know, it's the same excitement, um, different place. But and it is... Uh, unlike the Kentucky Horse Park, which is, you know, 1,400 acres of self-containedness, um, where all the events were held, there they're all spread out, aren't they? They are. Uh, there are five different off-site venues. All of them, though, are, even the off-site ones, are within 45 minutes to an hour, most of them. One is an hour and a half off-site, and that's the endurance. Um the public transportation is fantastic, so it'll be really, really easy to get to them. And it kind of makes it fun, at least that's what I found, because when you go to these different venues, you're going to different regions of France, and you're seeing different things. Now, let's see. You go ahead, Alina. No, no, no. So you get this, you get sort of this well-rounded... Um, you, you get to, well, this is the nice thing about Europe in general is that you, you can kind of pack a whole lot of stuff into your horse experience. You can, you know, non-horsey stuff with horsey stuff. Um, but do you have time? That's what's the timing like in the scheduling? You can sit time in. Um, they've done a fantastic job with the scheduling. Um, and that can all be found on 
the website, which is normandy2014.com. It has a breakdown of everything, of all the, the event schedules, the venues, the transport, the time that it takes to get from one venue to another, how it's best to get there. So th- there is time, and they've pretty much factored that in so that people can go to different events. Now, is it... Um... What about transportation and infrastructure, hotels and things like that? Is there a lot of it? How, are you going to drive, have to rent a car if you're coming from, you know, out of the country, out of France? You know, what's the story on that? It's advised not to rent a car um, because it's going to be very, very crowded there. You know, we're talking about uh, 14th and 15th century um, areas, so they have little, little thin, sometimes cobblestone-type roads, um, and they're going to be pretty crowded, um, and some of them will be blocked off. So what's being advised is there's going to be a lot, well, there already is public transportation in place and the infrastructure, which are trains. I mean, some of them will get you to venues in three to ten minutes. Now, if you're going to cross, if you're going for eventing, if you're going for dressage or cross-country, that's about an hour. That's an hour out in the country, and you probably will want a car for that. Mm. Or if you're going to Endurance, which is an hour and a half away, I'd recommend that. Now, you, you got to see the venues. Uh, tell us about them. What, you know, are, they, are they finished? Are they still in construction phase? And, and how well organized is this particular group? You, there's been some WEGs that have had some issues in the past. <laughs> Shh. So, um, some WEGs. Yeah, some WEGs. Um, so how, how would you say, in your opinion, this one's going? Going like clockwork. Um, the French don't fool around about their international sports events. And even their CEO, Fabien Grobon, was a, um, an official for many, many years in the French Open. So they're very much accustomed to uh, putting on the whole, the whole event and planning ahead and the whole infrastructure. The, they've been doing construction on the venues for, gosh, a couple of years. Most of them are, I'd say they're 90% built some are, some are all built because they exist. Some of them are racetracks that were already there. The others oh. that are being, yeah, and they've put a lot of money into rebuilding them. I can give you a couple of examples. The, yeah. um, the main stadium, which is Duanano Stadium, which is in Caen, will have show jumping and the dressage and show jumping for eventing, as well as the opening and closing ceremonies. That is a soccer stadium. It's about 20 years old, so they had to do a lot of work on that. Um, And it's absolutely beautiful. There's not a bad seat in the place because it's built low. like It is a soccer stadium, so there are no poles in the way. The seating makes you feel like almost like you're on the field because Mm. it's very low. It's it seems that they build the soccer stadiums that way. All the ones you see in the news reports when there's rioting at soccer games, uh, it looks like they build them low, like you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing that's really It'll be cool. the only game that's ever been played in this stadium that there won't be a riot and throwing no. things. <laughs> Hopefully not. You know those dressage fans. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that's really fun about Donano Stadium is that well, number one, it's an open amphitheater, 
so it's going to be beautiful, especially at night. Um, and the horses are stabled below. It's reminiscent in this one respect of the old uh, Madison Square Garden when the National Horse Show was there. The horses will come out through a tunnel, through a very dark tunnel, huh. and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're hit with the floodlights and the spotlights and the, the sound and everything. So that's going to be quite something. Very dramatic. For some horses, it's going to be something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Oh, boy. Um, I can tell you about a couple of the other venues if you yeah, like. Sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's see. The Exhibition Center, which is in the center of Khan, is where the raining will be. And that's basically the nerve center of the games because, <clears throat> excuse me, that is situated right next to the games village. And the Games Village itself is 80 acres, and that's where the restaurants and the exhibits and the demonstrations will be. Um, and that center has been completely renovated. And that is very handy. That's right in the center of Khan. And if you haven't ever looked up Khan, just go to Google Images and put in C-A-E-N France. And uh, take a look. C A E N. What? It's C A E N. It is. I thought it was Con as in C A N N E S. No, it's C A E N oh. France, and, and it's in the Normandy. Yeah, that's the other one. And in the Nor, it's in the Normandy. Tells you how much area. I know. But let me tell you, this is old world Europe. Uh, when you see the buildings and the infrastructure, what she's saying about it being narrow streets and everything, this is old world Europe. It is really cool. Hold on a second here. Wow. And you do feel like it is when you're there, don't you? Wow. <laughs> I want to go. Aww. You pronounce it ka, kind of like K-A-H, ka. Ka? Oh, okay. ka, okay. That's just how it's pronounced versus Khan, which is the, the one in the south where the film festival is. Right, 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 um, right. Okay. And as far as old world, you know, Mont Saint-Michel um, is what, from probably from the year 1000, might even be 800, um, and that's right on the English Channel, and the old, the, uh, the, it's a walled city, and, and it still exists, and there are little shops and things in there now, but you can go there, although I will tell you it has 365 steps um, to get there, but, uh, but uh, once you're in there, you really do feel like you're back in the, the medieval times, and... I found out it wasn't too glamorous then. You know, you think of castles and candles and, well, it's pretty dark and creepy in there. And it was a fortress, so there are little, little teeny windows for protection. Um, hmm. and yeah, the, the Renaissance clear. fairs make it look all fun and glamorous, and, but... They did, you know, they were peeing in the corner. So I mean, you know, <laughs> that's just, if, right. what do you mean they were peeing in the corner? They were peeing in the corner. Um, we're going to move away from peeing for a second, though. I'm, I'm briefly. Um, I noticed though when you do a satellite view of Ka, there's a lot of farmland surrounding the city. Uh -huh. um, it looks like a little, a, a lot actually. It, is that true? Am I? I mean, it looks like what? What is so? What's the? Um, I guess what's the climate like there? Is it? You're right. It, it looks to me, honestly, a lot like Lexington in that respect. Lots and lots of farms, very large farms. Uh, climate 
as is here, is quite unpredictable. Um, it can be kind of extreme. You know, you should really bring warm clothes, even though it's going to be in the summer. Because, oh. especially at the endurance, because you're right on the English Channel for the endurance. And they pretty much planned for that. That's why they have so many different venues with indoor arenas. Um, so it's going to be fine. And the other thing they planned for that's fabulous in regard to the weather, for example, the driving, okay? The driving is going to be at the Prairie Race Course, which is a normally used as a, a race course, um, racetrack. They have 30 race meets there a year. And what they've done for the driving, Para is also going to be there. Para is going to be held in the infield on a different date, of course. Um, the driving, they put a lot of money into that, and they've put in a new sand track, which I've been told by the driving team is the, the coming thing, sort of like poly track was in horse mm -hmm. racing a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, very expensive, and Chester Weber, some other people told me that... Um, it really evens the field out because it doesn't matter so much if you're the first horse or the last horse as far as the track being dug up because it doesn't happen. And, and they put the uh, marathon courses at the track as well? Yes. Huh. Yes. And, and that's right right in the city, right beside the city, actually. Um, so it's very, very handy, and it's close to a train station. Hmm. And that is that, uh, which track did you say that was? It's called, like, like the word prairie. Yeah, that's what I'm prairie. looking at, actually, on Google Maps. I just found it. Okay. Uh -huh. Yep, so I see. You're right. It, it's, it's surrounded by city. Uh-huh. And the yeah. one venue that I'd really like to tell you about that is just so exciting is it's called Aradupin. It's in a city called, a uh, village called Lepin, P-I-N. And that is about an hour out of Caen, and that is where the event dressage and cross-country will be held. Okay. And that is on literally, I mean, this was built by Louis XIV. It has a castle. It doesn't have a moat, but it has a castle. Um, it is the home of one of France's 20 national studs. Um, and it's known as the Versailles for horses. It's, it's amazing. It's, and that, it is 2,400 acres, which is, twice the size of the Kentucky Horse Park, which is pretty hard to imagine. Huh. Um, they've put in new dressage arenas, so the backdrop to the dressage is going to be the castle. Oh, that's cool. It's really, the photography opportunities also are going to be amazing. And the cross-country course, gosh, they have put so much work into that, and it's, it's just going to be amazing. They're going to have three water complexes. Um very different style of course design from what we're used to here in the States or what we saw in Rolex last weekend because of the terrain very much. The terrain there is very, very demanding. It's going to be a galloping course. It's going to be need a lot of stamina. And Pierre Michelet, who is the course designer, who is also, he's designed most of the courses in France, um, and is also going to be the course designer for the 2016 Olympics, is known for making very, very technical courses, very um, cross-country courses, lots of angles, lots of skinnies, um, lots of long gallop stretches in between. So the riders are really having to condition and prepare 
in, in a somewhat different way than they have for past World Equestrian Games. Well, it does look, I've been like looking at, uh, I know Helena has too, we've been looking at Google Maps and checking out the pictures and everything, and I think this is going to be, a, it's going to be a beautiful place to have the uh, WEG, if nothing else. And, you know, one of the things I have heard also is that France is really stepping up to the plate and uh, getting it ready. Right now, as of uh, April 29th, they're saying that there's been 270,000 tickets that have been purchased, and there's 130,000 left. Um, so there's still plenty of tickets left for anybody that's uh, looking at heading over there. And, of course, Europeans support horse sports uh, much more than we do here in the United States. And there's been 72 nations that have entries uh, that have indicated that they will have entries in the games and, a, and a, uh, over 1,000 horses. So I think it should be a lot of fun to watch and a lot of fun to uh, hear about as we go along. Thank you so much, Darlene, for joining us. We really appreciate you giving kind of an overview of the area, and we'll be chatting with you as we go down the line uh, to get more details as, as you get them uh, as well. My pleasure, Glenn and Helena, and thanks for having me. Do you have a website where people can check out, or are you, are you doing anything on Facebook? I have my own website that okay. has... Oh, actually, yes. Actually, it has a lot of articles. I've written an awful, written probably, oh, I don't know, 15 or 20 published articles, advanced articles on the games already. Okay. And I'm still writing them, and they appear in various publications, but most of them are also on my website. And that is Equestrian Authors, one word, A-U-T-H-O-R-S, sorry about the accent, um, dot com. Okay. Helena thinks she's at home. Um, ah. Right now. Oh, yeah, right at home. It's, <laughs> yep. I'm uh, following along. Okay. Very good. Well, we thank you, and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs> right after this commercial from Equestrian Collections, we have Catherine Haddad. Hi, Glenn here, and I'm with Debbie from Equestrian Collections, and we have something different to talk about today. Yeah, uh, today we're going to talk about blogging. Um, we at Equestrian Collections have gathered up a lot of some of the, uh, we used to do a lot of um, uh, informational write-ups in our Savvy Shopper emails, which I've talked about before. And we have gathered a lot of those together and updated them, and we're writing new blogs um, that we now have on our website. We have a lot of different subjects. I think you will find it so, so interesting to find the different things that people that we have written up or people, our experts have written up. We have a veterinarian who is our kind of, in, she's not in-house, but our go-to vet who writes uh, blogs for us. We have breed-specific ones. Um, breed uh, people who are writing blogs for us on different things. And uh, we just have a lot of information and a very easy way to get it. You just go to our website, www.equestriancollections.com, and up on the top left-hand side of the page, of the home page or any page, you'll first see our help. Um, you click on help to get our help stuff. And then the next one is blog. And if you click on that, you'll see all kinds of pictures and all kinds of write-ups and a lot of really, really good up-to-date information. And it's not too long. It's not like, okay, I want to read this article. It goes on for pages and pages. It's very easily readable. 
and it's long enough to give you the information you need, but short enough that uh, you don't have to spend the whole day reading it. So I suspect that you will find a lot of good information on our blog page, so we invite you to take a look. And I, I loved the article. You had an article in there, A Guy's Guide to English Writing Show Gear, which I thought was absolutely excellent because we don't know how to, we don't know what the match, you know, and that kind of thing. So, but this uh, really does give you a good guide to all the different products that you have that are great for English guys writing. That's right. Yeah. We got, we're trying to come up with lots of ideas that people would be interesting, like the tips and tricks to bathing your horse. Who wrote that? Oh, look there. It's my horse. <laughs> <laughs> So I say you go ahead and take a look at our blogs because I think you'll find a lot of good stuff there. EquestrianCollections.com Well, I'm really pleased to have Catherine Haddad, Grand Prix rider and trainer, uh, on the show again with us today. Hi, Catherine. How are you doing? I'm good, Philip. How are you? Uh, we're, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Well, we wanted to have you on the show again just because you had made the big trip over to Europe to do some competing again. And uh, yes. I was going to take the opportunity to talk to you. Uh, you just competed last week, what is that, at, at Hagen, a big show in Germany, and uh, wanted to ask you how it went, how, how your horse is doing, and, and uh, how your travels went. Okay. Well, we all traveled very well, fortunately. Myself, the dog, the horse. Um, Hotmail seemed to have gotten off the plane and settled in real quickly and got back into training very quickly. And um, it was a little bit like he landed and he looked left and he looked right and he said, holy crap, I landed in Europe. And he picked his withers up and he made his hind legs faster and he just got about 10% better, although the judges don't see it that way. Um, <laughs> the ride is, is definitely what I've been trying to achieve. So I'm really excited because we had a, a great show in Hagen. You can't tell that by the score. Unfortunately, I had one major error in the um, canter tour, which knocked me down about 50 points What from what I estimate. And um, you have to understand that when you're showing in Europe, you know, if you, I got, I think, 68.75 or something like that. But within the next eight placings above me, there was a quarter of a percentage point. So I think the difference in points from eighth to second or third was 23 points. And I lost 50 on one score. So, you know, that's okay. I shouldn't make, have made the mistake, but it was, yeah, it, yeah, it makes a huge sure. difference. Um, especially when the placings are so close and so tight. Uh, but I felt like the horse really put in the best test that he ever did. It was really in front of my feet, in front of my leg, out to my hand, super connection, very forward thinking test. Finally, with the flying changes, really on board and really ridden up and through the horse's neck and withers. And uh, a Piaf Passage Tour that I've been really honing and working on and trying to produce in the arena for, yeah, three, four months now. And I, I finally got it there. It was right where it was supposed to be, so I was very excited. A couple of the judges saw the difference, saw the improvement. Uh, I got a few eights on the test. Um, it's just, it's tough to do in Europe. You know, you've got to convince and double convince. So that's why yeah. I'm here. Yeah, I mean, do you think that the more you get exposure in Europe, the more you 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 can get the points that you deserve? Is that is that the feeling and the purpose? I'm going I'm, over there? I'm nearly sure of that because uh, yeah, but well, in generally speaking, throughout the winter in uh, Florida, I got better points from the European judges than I did from the American judges, and that was true at Hagen also. So uh, I think that staying in this on this continent and competing on this continent is the right thing to do for me and my horse. Excellent. Well, so it's great that he knows he has to step his game up when he steps on steps on European soil. 
That's very exciting. It definitely felt that way. Yeah, definitely felt that way. I was pretty excited. I, I'm, I'm excited about this horse in general. He is the best horse I've ever had. And, uh, He's really, he's just getting, he's getting better every single day. Not every single week, not every single horse show, but every single day the horse is improving in his work. Awesome. Awesome. And when is the next yeah. opportunity for you to bring him out? Well, we leave for Austria. I think it's on the 11th of May. The show is from the 15th to the 18th, but we have to travel two days to get there because um, we're going down to Graz, which is like the furthest corner of, of Austria from where I am right now. So it'll take us, a, it'll be a two day trip. And, um, yeah, the show is the 15th to the 18th and that's at the Glock Perf- performance horse center. Glock is the sponsor of Edward Gall and Hans Peter Minderhood. And also one of the largest and most successful manufacturers of handguns of course, <laughs> in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a strange <laughs> combination of, of handguns and horses, but, uh, yeah. An excellent, an excellent yeah. sponsor for sure, and a big supporter of dressage. So that's that's awesome. So we wish you no luck. No question. When you that. I've, well, thank you. I've heard a lot of, of really exciting things about this horse show. I, I've never been to this show before. It's a fairly new show, um, and I've heard that in the in the riders' lounge and the VIP lounge, they actually have a dog salon where you can get your dog groomed. Oh so yeah. Well, well every rider has a dog, right? And so it's it's great that they right. they acknowledge that, and <laughs> that'll be awesome. I'm sure your dog will enjoy it. <laughs> I'm sure he will. Well, that's great. Well, the the second reason for bringing you on the show today, uh, Catherine, is that you write a blog for Chronicle of the Horse, and I do. Uh, and I saw, and there was a big publicity, a lot of talk about a certain blog that you wrote last July, I believe it was. It was a, a blog okay. that was entitled "It's Time to Train the Trainers." And it created a lot oh, yeah. of controversy up in the internet, and and I had a quick chance to talk to you about it when when we met in Florida, and I thought it would be a mm-hmm. nice opportunity opportunity to bring you on the show and talk about it uh, with everyone sure. you know, to to our listeners because I think the you know there was a lot of controversy around it for for no reason. I think there was uh, people thought you were really dumb. Well, I, I don't know about that. I mean, amateurs. I. Yeah, that, I you know what's interesting because I I had some people approach me to talk about it too, which is fine because I'm I'm never never um, hesitate to talk about what I write and I, I prefer that people discuss it with me if they're unhappy. Um, I actually had a couple of of rather what do you call them? What do they call them on the forum? I think it's the BNTs, big name trainers. Um, I had a couple approach me and say what a horrible thing it was that I was being so down on amateurs and was I crazy and how could I insult people like that? And I, after talking to both of these people for only two or three minutes, it actually came out that they didn't even read the blog. They were just <laughs> responding to something that they, that they heard from somebody else. So, and I, and unfortunately I'll tell you, I have, I have a problem in that when I write, I'm very direct, but also in my life, I'm very, I'm very direct, very straight person. Yeah, and I yeah, often, that really comes across, yeah. Yeah, in the yeah, training and, I, and, I the, and in discussion about the horses as well, and and everything. So, sure. In in every in every walk, every step that I take in life, I'm very direct, very honest, very truthful, which sometimes is hard to live with, and I, and I know this. And when I write, I, I think I'm the same way. And sometimes I'm seeing something from a perspective that is very very clear to me, but unless I really take the time to think about every angle, sometimes people, it's left open to misinterpretation. So, uh, in fact, like my favorite part of the blog, which is, this is really my favorite part of the blog, is I actually got to use my favorite catchphrase, which is rabbit garden snail. 
And people thought that I was calling amateurs rabbit garden snails, when in <laughs> fact what I was doing, yes, it, it actually got, it got Googled like, I don't know, 100,000 times on the day that that blog came out. That the, can rabbits, can garden yeah. snails, are they, let me get rabies or something like that. But um, <laughs> I was not calling amateurs rabbit garden snails, but I was railing against the fact that often when I go to clinics, I see people progressing at the rate of a rabbit garden snail, which is very slowly. And I'm not only another inside secret here. It's not an inside secret. Anyone who knows me will tell you this. I'm not only straightforward, I'm an impatient person. If I see something that I can fix or that I can change, I want it done now. And I'm like that when I teach and I'm like that in clinics. So if I step into a clinic situation and I, and I, and I know that I can take 10 riders on Monday and 10 riders on Tuesday and fix a couple of major things that are wrong in their riding, then I walk away from the clinic asking myself, why didn't their own trainer do that? Why do I right. have to fly from New Jersey or Florida or wherever to Colorado or uh, San Francisco or something like this? Why do I have to step off the plane and use those words in order to get those results? Why can't their own trainer do it? And that was a little bit my attitude, and I, I did have attitude, I admit it, when I wrote the blog. Because I feel like um, my skills, it's not that I don't have a good skill set for that, that level of rider who needs very basic things changed. I just feel like the whole country would come more forward more quickly if we can um, improve the basic skills of our trainers, number one, so that they could improve the basic skills of all of our riders, number two. So um, I feel like we don't have enough tri trickle-down effect in this country. And a lot of people were very angry that I said it. I also had a lot of people come to me and say, hey, somebody's got to say it. And I started talking to my assistant trainer. He's actually, he's my berider. I, I don't like the term assistant trainer. Uh, Pat Patrick Tischkelaar, who had trained in Virginia for a very long time and is, is a Dutchman. And we started chatting about it because there was so much of, a, of an explosion on the forums about what I had said. And we were both kind of looking at each other like, why are people surprised to hear this? And then we, we began to understand we both grew up in Europe. And in Europe, there is a quite an advanced system, both in the Netherlands and in Germany and in England, um, France also not so much, uh, but many of the European countries, Sweden, Denmark, they actually have programs for training trainers, and they're very strict certification uh, uh, parameters that follow that. So if you want to grow up to be a trainer in Europe, you have to study for it. You have to take exams for it. You have to, you have to gain experience for it. A German berider, for instance, does not get his certification until he has worked for three years in the professional job under the supervision of someone else, um, takes his test, passes his test. The tests are very they're very inclusive um, and very technique-oriented. So you can't actually become a trainer in Europe without, number one, knowing how to lunge a horse in the proper equipment, number two, knowing how to fit cross-country gallop boots to a horse, whether you're going to go cross-country or not, number three, how to jump, you know, number four, how to do a dressage test. All of these things are included in the testing. So what you start with in Europe is a baseline of instructors that are tested and certified to do, to give professional instruction to other people. And unfortunately, although we're starting certification programs in the United States and the USDF has a certification program, what we don't have are the schools who support 
um, these people who want to, who want to become professional trainers. And I, you know, I didn't realize that I was kind of complaining about this endemic problem that I was seeing throughout the country, because remember I was gone for 20 years. And even though I did a lot of clinics in America, I did them all in the same place. And they were people who kind of grew up riding with me. So I never really saw what was out there in the areas where I hadn't been teaching. And I started to see that in this last year, what I, when I literally, I was, you know, you know, this, I was injured, so I couldn't ride very much. So I traveled everywhere teaching and it didn't really occur to me why we had a lower level of instruction in this country. And I know that even when people hear me say this on radio, they're not going to forgive me for saying it, but it, (laughs) it actually is true. There is a lower level of instruction at the basic level than there is in Europe. And I, I mean, I would yeah. like to see that change. Yeah, I, yeah. Would, I would like to see that change. So um, if I sound adamant when I write or angry, people said I was angry. I wasn't angry, but I was adamant. And it does disturb me when I go somewhere and I think, you know, this could so easily change if, if people just had a little bit more knowledge. Well, where do you get that knowledge? You get it from schools. And we don't have the schools in America um, that do a rider certification or a riding license right. certification. Now there are, there are a few with riding programs, uh, but we don't have that, that nationwide level. Let me put it to you like this. What if anyone could become a dentist without going to school and taking uh, their boards, their dental board? I'm assuming they take dental boards. You know what I mean? Their, their dental right. tech. Yeah, 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 yeah. What if I mean, just anyone yeah, could very similar in every profession that that there ha- there's a certain level before you can graduate and they send you out into the world to either help people or to do a job to to make sure there's a standard out there there's not the same thing in right. in, in riding dressage riding and teaching so uh, there's not much to no, say and that, I really that this feel trainer like... is good and this one is not good and and so on and so forth but right. I, I think you and know, I really feel like it would help the, and... yeah sorry Sorry, you go ahead, Catherine. Yeah. Well, I just, I just feel like we could really change the whole face of our sport, not only in dressage, but also in jumping and eventing. We could change the whole face of equestrian sport in the United States if we developed an across-the-board nationwide certification program that was supported by schools who prepared people to take the tests. Because it, it would just raise the baseline of knowledge in the country. So, you know, I, I do know that I insulted some people. Probably there were more trainers insulted than anyone else, although although somehow well, the, the yeah, amateurs... That's what surprised me. It was a lot of amateurs that were really like, Catherine hates amateurs. I mean, if, if you're a, a low-level instructor, I could see you maybe being insulted, you know, because that was the point of the thing. I mean, it, the, it's, it was entitled, it's time to train the trainers, not it's time to mm-hmm. tell the amateurs that they're bad at riding. So, I mean, I was confused a little bit about the response from the blog as well, and that's why I wanted to kind of... I talked to you a little bit about before and, and, and wanted to bring you on the show to because our, our listener base is, is adult amateurs and I don't think that you were that you were down on them you know at all. So I just wanted to kind of try and clear it up a little bit. Um, well I, sure I wasn't and, and I'm trainers. not. Yeah. Well yeah, you, you know, teach a lot of percent well, of the right? Yeah, ninety nine percent of the people that I teach are amateurs, whether it's in clinics or in my own training business at home. So and I don't think that you know, that's, but that's something else too, because I have, I have a, a European who trains with me who is not a professional rider who wants to become a professional rider. And every time I say to her, why don't you just become the best amateur you can be and make your money somewhere else? She looks at me like I'm crazy. So there's also, <laughs> remember, remember again, I grew up in 
Germany. Well, I say I grew up. I never really grew up. But I became more mature in Germany. Um, and in Germany, the difference between an amateur and a professional is where you make your money. I'm a professional rider because I make my money riding and training horses. And so when I use the term amateur, I'm talking about someone who doesn't – That doesn't for me, an amateur for, is yeah. defined – yeah, because that's, their career is not in riding, okay? So, uh, first of all, there are a lot of people who ride. Some people ride even better than me who are still amateurs. And I have, I have nothing – amateur is not a dirty word to me. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. And I, I probably interchanged the word amateur and beginner a couple times in the blog. What I, I also don't have a problem, by the way, teaching rank beginners. I really don't. I've, a lot of them come into my clinics, and I, there's a lot of people in my life who I have taught from the beginning, meaning the first time they threw their leg over a horse. I have no problem with that whatsoever. What I don't like is when people are sent to me who have been riding for years and years and years, and I look at them and I see them struggling and I see how frustrated they are, and, and that's not being changed by the local people that they're working with. And that's nobody's fault. I just feel like like there needs to be a way to raise the standard. So yeah. I am absolutely on the side of amateurs. I mean, I couldn't yeah. live without them. Amateurs in all around the world, it's the amateurs who make the sport go around. So, um, but that's why I went and got certified. That's why I keep trying to hone my skill. And still to this day, I'm learning and honing my skill because I don't want to take a paycheck if I'm not doing the best job I possibly can. So if somebody comes to me, I want to have answers. I want to have more than one tool in my pocket that's going to help them do what they what they need to do on a horse. And I feel like some of our instructors and some of our trainers throughout the country are have a li very limited toolbox. And that's because they don't have any kind of formal education and they've only been learning from I, which is good. I mean, I learned a lot of what I know from the I. Um, they've been stealing with their eyes and they've been trying to get a few lessons here and there from people who, who know more than they do, which is great. But then I asked myself, where else in the United States do you get the kind of education that I got when I went to Europe? And this was what Patrick was actually at, able to add for me. He said, you know, you can't, the way we were educated in Europe, you can't get that education in America. And then it suddenly dawned on me, I'm the stupid one because I never thought of that. Yeah, it's it's a different thing. I think a little bit as well. There's a, there's there's a, a a talent drain that goes on in in America and Canada too. We're served with the same thing. Where if you're if you're a professional or are wanting to be professional in in the U.S. and you come from small town Kansas or Arizona or well, I don't know the geography as well, but you're but you have to move to go and get that education and in a lot of cases you don't you never go back right because there's not the competitions there's not the 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 um the shows you know around you there's not enough business for you to make to make a living you know in 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 the less populated areas and that a lot of the best trainers end up moving to the east coast they end up going to well or or California or Florida where all the shows are and then they're not available to their amateurs where they came from i think that's that's a huge problem you know and and oh, a little bit yeah. you know on the next level either they go to europe and then they're in europe and training in europe and they're not available for teaching in in the u.s and unfortunately then the amateur in small town kansas arizona you know all these places where you were traveling to to teach has not the great trainer available close to them in europe that's not the case right you can go 
to, right. you know, Olympian professional barns within a couple of hours, depending on where you live in, in Holland and Germany and Denmark, you know, like the, the, the distances well, are a huge problem. Yeah. Well, that, well, but yes and no. And that was another point that I made in the blog that, that really irritated some people. And, and that's that as an average rider, like right now, by the way, I'm sitting in a car at a horse show in the Netherlands. I'm just a kind of a very small, uh, local show. And I'm seeing a lot of riding that, you know, I could see anywhere, anywhere in the United States. There's a couple good horses, a couple good riders. There's also some horses that I, I don't like so much. And there's some riding that I don't like so much, but mo- the majority of the people at this local show would never dream of calling Edward Gall and asking for a riding lesson because that's not done here. What they would do is go to their local instructor for help. And if they weren't getting enough help from their local instructor, then they might go, you know, 20 kilometers to the east or 20 kilometers to the west or to someone who was was winning, let's say, Intermediate 2 at small shows like this. So they would step it up a level and they would never dream of going to a top professional for help until they had had reached a certain level of of riding ability. Now, okay, they have the people to go to in this country and also in Germany and, and the other European com- uh, countries. They have the stepping stones. They have the stepping blocks. Um, so, and, and that is, again, very important because you know what? Edward Gall is only one person. How many right. people can he train? You know, uh, how many, how many people can one person train? And that's why you have to train your trainers and produce more trainers so that they can go out there and provide a middle level of education for people who are either just starting in the sport or, or have start well started and they're really looking for, to improve themselves. So you can't, I mean, you can't go to, how do I want to put this? Because I, people also accuse me of being a snob. I am probably the least snobbish person in the sport. I started with very little means and, you know, I'll teach anybody. You don't have to have a big pocketbook to come to me to train. You do have to be able to pay for your education because I had to pay for mine, but I'm not someone who, you know, weeds out the poor people and takes only the, the, the wealthy people of the world in training. When you come to me, you have to, number one, want to learn and number two, work hard. And then that's okay with me. That's, that's how you, how you get an education from me. But again, I'm only one person and I can't teach everybody, which is why it's for me, I start to think, okay, why then am I teaching a clinic full of people who are just learning to sit the trot when I could be teaching 10 trainers who want to be better at their craft? Because that would extrapolate and help other people in their region. The other problem that we run into in America is it's a very parochial kind of situation in many areas. Trainers don't want to come to clinics to learn to train because they don't want to be exposed to being taught in public. Um, some trainers, right, you know, right. within you, you can have five trainers within a 50 mile radius and they don't talk to each other. Right. That doesn't happen in Europe, which, and, and this is so hard for me to explain to people sometimes, but there is such a cooperation here um, compared to what we have in the sport in the United States. People really work together here, even if they don't yeah. like each other. They'll all show up at the same symposium. They'll all show up at the same training session. They'll all exchange ideas. I mean, I go to the International Dressage Riders Club meetings, the International Dressage Trainers Club meetings. You know, there's people I don't like at the meetings. There's some people I don't, I don't care to see on a horse. And there's other people who I really admire and who I, really, I try to emulate in my riding. But we all sit at the same table. And we all exchange ideas and we all try to learn from each other. 
So I wish if there was one thing I could wish for my country and the trainers that we have in it right now is that we could find a way to, to learn to work together better because yeah. it would bring the whole sport forward, which is yeah. what I feel obviously very passionately about. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I've experienced that European, you know, where competitors don't see their their competition as as uh, as against them, <laughs> against them as an adversary. And you know, you can use your your friends and around your area as eyes on the ground. As you know, you don't have to you don't have to give all your clients Absolutely. to them. And yeah, I mean, I think and, no. and there's a certain level of respect that we're all in this to train horses, and and we all love dressage, and we have that in common. So why not use that instead of, yeah, instead of just you know putting sure. people down and saying oh that person's a terrible trainer and 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 you know I think we all have skills to bring to the table and ideas to bring to the table and and like you said it would help us and Canada a little bit the same thing a lot if we all work together and uh, and just brought our own country's level to to up uh, you know up you know, to, the, to the European standard and. And you see all those trainers over there, you know, even though we we can't wait week in and week out they're competing against each other, they're helping each other because they see it as a, a nationalistic pride thing when they all do well, right? And I think that's that's yeah, really important. That's, true, that's something too. Yeah, that's really and, well important. and even at the even at the highest level of the sport, at say say World Cup tour here in Europe, which I've done many times, you know, it's the same sort of fifteen to twenty competitors at every World Cup qualifier and you you get the feeling like you know, I've 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 loaned a noseband to a competitor that broke his in the warm up. I've borrowed hay from Isabel Vert. I've, you know, had people help me on the warm up who who hardly even knew me. Like I, if I looked over and asked somebody how's the left hind, they would tell me. You know, um, I've had the German national trainer give me a couple words on the warm up because he saw that my trainer wasn't there that day. You know, it's it's a very people are not afraid to give a little help to somebody else because they know that they might win today and the other guy might win tomorrow. Yeah. But it's, um, it's a competitive atmosphere, but very, a very professional competitive atmosphere. And, and supportive. So, I mean, the, the, the next person doesn't have to do worse for you to do better. That's, I think that's an important point. That's when, right. we, when we ride, we're not immediately competing against each other or, you know, not like hockey or basketball where you're scoring goals or making baskets against the other person. You're just riding the best you can. You, you're doing the best you can with your own horse, and so is that person. And and for you to beat them, or to do a little bit better than them, they don't have to get worse, right? You just have to get better. That's all. That's right. You just have to beat yourself. You have to every time you have to do better than you did the last time. Yeah. So yeah. you know, I it's um I, I I do realize that I'm often too blunt and a little bit too too direct when I write things, but I'm pretty much, I don't want to say fearless, but I'm pretty close to fearless when it comes to putting stuff out there. I'm like, you know, what's the worst that can happen? A couple of people get pissed off at me. Okay, fine. The two people that I talked to who were so angry with me, like I said, they didn't even read the blog. They just right. heard about it. So I right. thought, okay, well, that doesn't, that doesn't hold any water with me. If you're going to come to me and complain <laughs> about my writing, then you better read it first. Um, and, you know, I've gone back and read that blog several times since. And I, every time I read it, I think, hmm. That's interesting because I don't really see myself insulting amateurs in that blog. Yeah, and, and I yeah, find again, myself. Like I'll say again, I, it confused me what people were were they they were writing in. They were raging about it all over the internet, and I read it. And I said, "Oh, okay, there you go." Yeah, the wrong people are. <laughs> well, mad, I, you but, know, I was. You know. Yeah, I was actually, I was actually, 
rooting for the amateur in that blog. And, and it, yeah. that might've been hard to, to extrude from it. But, you know, I was basically saying, look, come on, if, if you're going to take people's money, then you better know how to train them. And, yeah, it, and it can't I, be yeah, that they I just come to you every week. Them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I can't stand it. If I, if I watch the same rider go to the same trainer every week and not improve, this makes me crazy. <laughs> and, you know, some people, some people will say, yeah, but they just, you know, they like to ride and they're just coming out to have a good time. And I'm like, great. Well, they can have, they can have a good time while they're improving. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or they don't a little bit for training if they're not getting training. Right. That's well, that's, thing. that's the thing, you know, and, and I really feel that if people are going to hand you a check, then you better have done a damn good job. That's, and I feel about that in every profession. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go to a mechanic who has never worked on an Audi if I'm driving an Audi. You know, I'm not going to go to a dentist who doesn't have any kind of certification. I'm not going to go to a neurosurgeon who is never trained. Yeah. So, you know, I want, I want the best people, best professionals in my life when I, I, when I need a professional for something. And I, I would hope that in the horse industry, we start to expect more and ask more from our trainers as well. And I have to tell you, I, I heard from a lot of trainers and I heard from a lot of people being trained that they were happy to hear what, that, what I wrote. It made their lessons better. It made their trainers step up to the plate. And I know that in the places where I do clinics, all of my trainers stepped up to the plate. They all got better and their students got better. All around me, there was this incredible surge, even in my own stable of people saying, boy, we have to step up to the plate and put yeah. more knowledge out there. We have to try harder. So that was kind of cool. That was really neat. That yeah, really that's, neat. Um, that's excellent. Thing that something, yeah, good comes out of it. Well, I really, I enjoy reading your blog all the time. I hope that you keep writing and, and being honest and putting stuff out there that people can talk about and create a little discussion. With. I mean, uh, uh, I think a lot of positive things came out of that, out of that blog, even if there were some people who felt really negative about it. So so, you know, I appreciate your writing, and, and I know that a lot of other people do, too. And uh, there has to be discussion. Otherwise, things don't get better, right? There has to be at least some, some, somebody, somebody talking about it and thinking of solutions to problems. So um, I thank you sure. for, well, for you know. talking with us today and coming on the show. And hopefully you'll come on again, and uh, we can talk more about your blogs because there's lots of interesting stuff that you put out there in your writing. And uh, we, wish, we wish you luck and uh, all the success in in competitions coming up and we hope, Thank you, hope that you come back soon and and keep teaching you know keep uh, bringing your experiences to to all levels of, of professionals and, and amateurs and, and everything thank you so much okay Philip thank you well we really thank Catherine for for taking the time out from her busy schedule to talk to us all the way from Holland which is where she was um, and it, I think, you know, give something to think about. Give, it's great to have somebody who gives some, gives some discussion points for us, especially on the show to give us content. And also overall people have to, you know, to think and discuss and, and have different ideas in Dressau. So it's, it's, it's great that she puts that, that blog out there. I recommend that everybody reads her blog, whether you agree or disagree, you know, get into a discussion. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, but I think, too, Philip, you know, real quick, I, I think it's important because it's come up. I think if you are getting instruction in general, I think it's very important that you understand the credentials that your instructor has. Or if you're going to listen to for a lecture or, for example, uh, that you really understand the credentials and that you really aren't just listening to anybody that's run of the mill. <laughs> 
you know, well, and, don't and say I that, think, Reese, because because oh, well. we have listeners to the show, and, and <laughs> you know, you're funny, Philip. And we want them to keep listening. And we want we them to keep listening. listening. So don't. But, yeah. No, but we really right. Everything Reese just said. Strike. Forget Thank what she you. said. She does Get not it. know what she's talking about. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> we'll very have to much. Cut that. Yeah, we're yeah, gonna have to put that you. in the blooper reel. That's in the blooper reel. No, but I'm re- I really am truly serious. I think it is important that you listen and you and you make sure that where you're getting instruction is um, from a certified person or for somebody that has some credentials um, and and that really understands. Price is not always the point that you should. I, I hear people, oh, well, she's you know down the road and she's pretty inexpensive. Well, mm. so I I, I think uh, I have not listened to the Catherine. Uh, um, interview, but I do definitely want to say that. I, I think that's really important to say that when you look for instruction, that you are finding people that are certified and or, and or, or have credentials in general. So I just wanted to put that out okay. there. Okay. <laughs> Continue, Philip. All right. Well, I just want, we got, we got lots of listener kind of emails and, and stuff that I kind of wanted to get to, um, you know, and, and have time to do that. So First up is Lori, who wrote writes into the Facebook page. Um, she's she was the one who asked about. We had a big discussion about buying a horse, and she was the one that asked asked us to to, to, to talk about that. So that's great. That gave us a little bit of talk to topic to to talk about. And uh, she just thanks us for spending the time on the show to talk about horse shopping. It was a great overview from from you and I. She says, and very helpful as she gets started to prepare her finances. Etc. for making her first purchase. Love hearing the support for adult amateurs and points on evaluating an off-the-track thoroughbred as well. Very interesting. Keep up the fantastic work. So that makes us feel good. We get a Yay, little bit of, we love that. Yeah, nice. a little bit of love, um, which leads me into an email that we got from our one of our longtime listeners, Vera. Uh, Rubinus No, I can't say I'm sorry, Vera. I have a hard time with, with last names, and I, and I always ruin them. And it's Vera. Yeah, it's Vera, who's a wonderful Vera, you listener. Know, she writes in. We talk about stuff all the time. Um, she wanted to bring up the point uh, that that was a good one and we didn't talk about in this discussion and might be a great way to wrap up the discussion is about about horse shopping and and we need to talk about what, what are we going to do with the horse five, ten years down the road when it's ready to retire or, you know. So what do you think about that? What do you think about that, Reese? Yeah, I think that's a, a great point that Vera brings up that we didn't talk about. And I think both Philip and I are, are passionate about this. And, 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 and I think you have two choices. I think you need to have a plan when you buy a horse um, of any level. Uh, what is how the long? How long do you want to keep yeah, it? Yeah, how long no, do you want to keep it? At what that? point is it time to think about mm-hmm. either the next horse or, right. or not riding or whatever you're going to do? You know, there has to be a long-term plan as well. I think Vera brings up Absolutely. Point. Yeah. Well, and I think you have to be honest with yourself and say, do I want to retire this horse for the rest of his life? Or, you know, I have I've essentially done what I needed to do with this horse. And is it time to sell my horse and and move on? And and I've had students that have done that. And from a financial standpoint, you know, I've just had especially young riders where the parents are like, I am not retiring this horse for the next 10 years. Right. And and I respect that. Like I absolutely respect that and and we move to to sell that horse and we talk about that. Um and then I also I am personally retiring three horses right now, which on a small farm that creates a little bit of an issue. Um I am retiring my mom's 
She literally was the inductee of the Mara Hall of Fame for the International Hunter Futurity. First one. Her name is Magician. Um, she will live here till till it is time. Uh, there are days sometimes I'm like, I don't know, Madge. Uh, her name's Magic, and um, mm-hmm. she's she will live here. She she babysits actually my two year old, so uh, she very much has a job here and and will always always be taken care of. Uh, she gets as good of care that I can provide her, uh, and I also have. Um, my two FEI mares, uh, my mare that is, I talk a lot about her, Jamaica. She was my first Grand Prix horse, a really serious Grand Prix horse, won a few Grand Prix in Florida and just, a, and she's the mom of, of three of my kids because uh, I don't have children. So my four-legged kids are my children. Um, you know, she's the mom. So she will always have a home here. She will always be taken care of. And then I have uh, Sammy who was my schoolmaster for years and, and really helped, you know, support my business uh, over time and, and has, was a wonderful workhorse for me. She was as valuable as Jamaica was um, for my business. And so I feel very, very passionately that those two, oh, well, three horses will be retired. One, the, the two mares, uh, Meep and Sammy, are at a, fr- a friend's farm um, and they are retired there and, and Magic lives here on the farm. So, I'm very it's a, it's a tricky problem. Yeah. Well, when you yeah, don't have is. your own farm and, and then you don't have your own farm, and maybe right. you want to buy another horse or, you know, then, sure. you, but you've got the expense of boarding a retiree, right? For, yeah, for who absolutely. knows how long, right? I mean, yeah, I don't, can, I don't know. have a long life and you want them to have a long life and, and, but it can and create some uh, financial hardship if you didn't plan on that. Right. Right. And I think and it's, so it's, it's for sure something to think about. And, yeah. and, and uh, well, I mean, I mean, there's also the situation that you're, seven-year-old horse that you bought two years ago, you know, gets an injury. And then, and then what do you do, right? This, you know, you have to kind of, you know, it happens with horses, right? And yeah. then you can no longer ride them. So, yeah. you know, there has to be a retirement plan or, or you got to, you know, kind of figure things out. So, yeah, Vera, it's very important to think about what's yeah, the end game here. When is it time to, to, to sell the horse if, if you don't want to retire it yourself? Um, you know, before well, I, something catastrophic, catastrophic happens. Yeah, and I think the other thing is too. I mean, the question to insure your horse or not to insure your horse. I mean, I I think that that wasn't something we were going to talk about, but I think that um, that is a, a good question. And and, and I have uh, different views on my farm. I I choose to insure my horses. Um, I feel like uh, I don't want to be making a decision on if I can afford the colic surgery or not on my way to the clinic. So right. for that, I right. personally insure them. Um, but I have clients that say, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not going to do that. And, and Philip, I don't know what your take on that is. It depends. It depends on the horse, but I think, you know, uh, emergency surgery insurance, you know, yeah. is important. And there's, I mean, there's all kinds of different insurance you can get at, at different yep. price points and, you know, there's loss of use insurance and, and you, I mean, you you can get insurance for everything, right? You know, yep. whether it's horses or cars or houses, and you yep. can. I think I don't believe in kind of blanket over insuring everything. I mean, you know, you have to sure. look at what's the co- You know, what's the value of the horse, and you know, what what are you going to do? But yeah, I do like the emergency emergency yeah. surgery I mean, for me, again. So yeah. that it's not a question about money when it comes down to that, right? Kind of and that's decision, for me. Yeah. I, I sleep a little better with that with that and knowing that. So you know, I, I I have to build that when I buy a horse. I mean, I have to build that into the cost of the horse along with the vetting. Um, so I think it's important 
Um, and then, you know, your decision to, to retire or not to retire. I mean, I think that needs to be in the decision or, or are you, a lot of my amateurs, you know, struggle with, am I going to sell this horse or am I not going to sell this horse? And, um, you know, I think that you just need to think about it when you buy a horse. So that's sort of, I think both Philip and I, you're Philip, you're also retiring a horse. So I I have a retired mare. I mean, uh, Mm -hmm. she gave us three beautiful foals and I rode her. For for a few years, and my mom rode her for a few years, and 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 now she's retired, and uh, you know I don't I don't live on my own farm at the moment, so so yeah, she's a a monthly cost. Um, she's at a nice retirement farm that doesn't have all the bells and whistles as, yeah. as the training farm, but yeah, I mean it's just something that that you know we kind of knew that we had to accept that that's if we're going to retire a horse, that's that's what we have to do, and. You know, we'll pay for her for for forever. You know, for as yep. long yeah. as she's around. I mean, that's, and yeah, it's, that's yeah, my view I mean, too. It's part of being a responsible owner to have a plan for for that. So yeah, absolutely. And I think horses that work hard for you um, over many years. Um, you know, but again, I have had clients that say, "Yeah, the horse has got to be sold. It's it, I'm not doing that." And and I respect that too. And and I right. do respect that, right. that that they're thinking ahead and say, "I you know I don't want 20 years of." Or ten years, or whatever. Um, right. I, I mean, I, I always bring it up with clients that are thinking, like, should I buy a schoolmaster? It'd be really nice to be able to ride the Priest and George movements, for example, and learn from that. And and at that point, I always have that discussion. Well, a schoolmaster is great, but you got to think, you know, if you're buying a fifteen, seventeen-year-old horse, how long would you like to have this horse? You know, would you like mm-hmm. to ride it for a year and then maybe maybe sell it on to somebody else? But if you have it for three, four years, you're think you're really thinking about having to retire that horse, and and you know if you if you can accept that, and and um, you know that's why those horses don't cost all the money that a ten year old Priest and George horse will, will will cost because somebody's got to be responsible and 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 retire it and 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 make sure that a horse you know has obviously worked really hard throughout its life, and 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 you know at the end of the working career. You might be able to. Ha- you might have that horse for another ten years or so, or who knows how long. But yeah, and then and then and at that at that point, the the client or whoever I'm talking to says, "Oh well, you know, if I'm paying for a horse, I'd like to be able to ride it." So sure, makes makes sure. a lot of sense. Makes a lot yeah. Sense, so, so great question, Vera. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, that we didn't add that to our discussion about buying a horse, but I think it's definitely something to chat about and and to think about. And again, as you're buying a horse, open discussion with your trainer is really important. And these are all things that these yeah. are good Keep questions. Keep the communication going, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Philip and I aren't so? offended by these questions, so yeah. uh, bring it, yeah, bring it great, on. Great so stuff to talk it. about. Yeah, because it all plays a part in 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 our role as as um, trainers and, and guidance for people. We, we want to think about all aspects of, of buying a horse or owning a horse or riding or all these things. So it's great. Um, before we finish here, Reese, I wanted to bring up another email. We got, we got a few emails. I, I love to it. We love here. emails. Bring them. We love it. Um, this email is actually from a listener who had a training question that we covered. Um, uh, the listener's name is Jess, and she was talking about, I think it's a thoroughbred mare, and we had a big discussion about stretching. She sent us, sent us some video of the horse before, and that, that led us to a, a great discussion about stretching in a previous episode. And so she sent us a little update. Yes, she just it's says awesome. Here, just Boston just says, I want to thank you and Reese again for taking the time to answer my questions about my mare. 
It was last December. A friend took some video of her charting today, and I think just thought I'd send it to you. We went back to the to the basis to the basics as you suggested, and she's made a ton of progress in her in her contact and movement. I think she's not curling behind the bit anymore, and she still offers some stretch sometimes, but we put more boundaries around it. She's a lot of fun to ride. Thanks for your help. So that's great, and she sent this updated video, and uh, and the horse and the rider look great. Really big improvement in the horse, I have to say, and she looks yes. like she's going really well, and it's yeah. it's nice to see. So again, it well makes done. us feel good if we've helped you a little bit in your riding. Send us, you know, a video or some email, and uh, and gives us a great great reason for for doing the show, and and you know helps us think that we're doing a good job. So exactly. Thank you, thank you very much, yes, Jess. Thank you really very much. Good it. job. Keep up the good work. Keep it up. Well, everybody, we've enjoyed the show today, and you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me at philipparksequestrian.com, and my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Benefab and Equestrian Collections this week for allowing us to put on a great show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we'll talk to you next week. 